0: To everyone listening, uh, a most warm welcome to you all. My name is uh, Natasha Briski, and I am a journalist podcaster from Slovenia, also based in Slovenia. And with me is...
1: Aljaš Pengovbitens, journalist, blogger uh, and a general nuisance waffling between Slovenia and Luxembourg depending on uh, lockdown availabilities. Uh, Welcome to One and All and uh, we're so glad to continue this special series of podcasts on human rights in the 21st century um, with our uh, very uh, special guest, um, Miss Debbie Koener. I hope I pronounced
2: your name right. Yes, hello, it's Debbie Koener uh, and I'm Secretary General of ENRI, the European Network of National Human Rights Institutions. It's a pleasure to be with you today.
0: Yeah, and we are so glad to have you with us. Uh, So as Aliash mentioned, the human rights is something that uh, we are going to talk in our second episode. But before we start, uh, could you tell us a little bit, uh, to those who are not familiar with the ENRI, um, what's the
2: mission? What is, who is ENRI? Hmm. Well, as I said, ENRI is the European network of national human rights institutions. Uh, National Human Rights Institutions, or NHRIs, are state-mandated institutions independent of government with a broad mandate to promote and protect human rights. They do this through uh, monitoring the human rights situation on the ground, through uh, advising the government and the parliament on their human rights commitments and responsibilities, On reporting to the public, to Parliament, to international organisations, through supporting individuals whose human rights might be violated and also through promoting a culture of rights. Um, NHRIs carry out all of these functions in a reinforcing manner and they're accredited every five years to test their independence, accountability, pluralism and effectiveness. This makes sure that they are truly independent institutions and strong to promote and protect human rights within the country where they are established. Um, Every uh, international organization calls for the establishment of NHRIs and they are now an indicator for the sustainable development goals and for rule of law. All around the world,
1: but uh, specifically in Europe we are uh, faced with what's become known as a wave of illiberalism mm-hmm. and one of the wh- one of the specifics of of of, of this uh, series of events events is undermining the institutions that are independent uh, of the executive branch or of the government itself uh have in your opinion uh, these um, institutions, uh, human rights institutions across Europe, uh, come under attack, or are they faced with, with uh, various moves to, to um, reduce their influence bit in terms of legal power or financial independence or political independence, etc?
2: Well, yes. Sadly, we've seen several uh, attacks on NHRIs or threats to their independence. And this can come in many different ways. Uh, First of all, uh, there are often cuts to their funding. And of course, the state budget might be limited, but the cuts to funding might be disproportionate compared to other state bodies. Or it might be that the nhri has a new mandate it has more functions to perform and not sufficient resources to do so effectively this impacts on their independence in itself secondly we might see attempts at political interference with the body either through trying to make a political appointment for the head of the institution or trying to influence its work finally and sadly we've seen some direct attacks on the heads of the institutions or staff working there. Uh, This could be through uh, state media, through a smear campaign, it could be through political uh, action. And actually, you mentioned uh, the legal independence, and we've even seen attempts to change the founding legislation, which ensures its independence. For this reason, the accreditation through an international uh, process taking uh, objective criteria called the UN Paris principles helps to test the NHRI and make sure that it is still independent. And this is done to try and support the institution because even if it is not fully independent an NHRI can take steps to promote and protect human rights and the international community and also pressure in country can help to ensure that the NHRI is as independent as possible. At ENRI, we also support their independence in various ways. First of all, we uh, help to advise on the Paris principles and how they can be in compliance with it. Secondly, uh, if there is a threat to their independence, uh, all NHRIs across Europe come together through ENRI to speak out on the importance of independence and to put pressure on the government in that country to make sure that they are not interfering. And we do this with our international partners, with the UN Human Rights Office, with the Office for Democratic Institutions and Human Rights, (ODIHR) from OSCE, with the Council of Europe and also with our partners at the EU. Mm. I'd like to underline that it's not only the international community that can support this independence, but also civil society and the public itself. And this goes in a mutually reinforcing way. The civil society in many states has called for the independence and also the establishment of NHRIs. But where an NHRI is strong and independence, independent, it has been recognised as being able to support civil society space and an enabling environment for uh, all of civil society within the country concerned. It does this through the many functions that it has to promote and protect human rights, democracy and rule of law. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, now, Mrs. Conner, uh 2020 has been a year like uh, none before, at least uh, how we experienced it, probably. Uh, It changed many things and the new coronavirus had an impact all over the world. Uh, Now, you may have uh, or probably reviewed what happened in the past months? Uh, did you come to any conclusion regarding uh, the effect to the state of human rights in 2020, the new coronavirus?
2: Um, well, yes, thank you, Natasha. I'd first like to go back to your original question, if I may. Uh, I, you asked me about the mission of ENRI, and I answered by explaining what are National Human Rights Institutions, or NHRIs. But beyond each individual NHRI, All NHRIs across broader Europe come together uh, in this network called ENRI. And the mission of ENRI is to enhance the promotion and protection of human rights across Europe through supporting, strengthening and connecting NHRIs. We support NHRIs by supporting their establishment, their uh, accreditation to make sure that they are truly independent and effective and also supporting them if they become under threat. We strengthen NHRIs through capacity building, mainly through peer exchange, but also by bringing together NHRIs so that they can share information from the various national contexts across Europe and come together with a Europe-wide assessment of human rights and engage with regional mechanisms uh, in order to uh, show the international community, uh, that a human rights issue is common across Europe. Finally, in connecting NHRIs, we do this with the regional mechanisms and the UN, but also by connecting NHRIs to each other so that they have solidarity in their approach. And finally, encouraging their connections with civil society, with other national human rights bodies, and of course, their effective collaborative work with state actors.
0: I'm wondering how did uh, COVID impact the work uh, for you in the 2020 or the state of human rights? As you
2: know, COVID has had an impact on everyone's lives uh, globally. And uh, first of all, of course, it impacted on the way in which NHRIs operate. Like everyone else, NHRIs were uh, forced not to work in offices. There was widespread uh, teleworking. But this causes particular challenges to institutions that need to be accessible to the public and need to be on the ground monitoring the human rights situation, and also having access to the state institutions to advise on draft legislation and policies. So beyond, of course, the immediate impacts on health and the right to health, The first uh, impact that we saw and that NHRI's worked upon was advising on the emergency measures that were brought into place uh, in order to protect public health. Now of course this was an emergency situation and quick decisions needed to be made but these decisions were not open to public consultation and at times not even for the NHRI that has a state mandate to advise. This meant that uh, decisions, measures, legislation, it was all taken very quickly without sufficient scrutiny from parliament, uh, from the public. This ended in um, a failing in terms of democratic processes, uh, democratic participation, and often we found that there was not even inf- sufficient information to the public, to uh, authorities that needed to comment on them. Some uh, measures were not published in full. It meant that the security forces had to take decisions with very unclear guidance, with very um, with a lot of space for individual security officers officers to take decisions. Now, this all comes in a context where there was a lack of freedom of movement. This meant that there was limitations to freedom of assembly. Uh, Freedom of expression was limited because there was less access. And even the, the media, the free and independent media, did not have sufficient information to comment broadly on what was happening. Now, this shows that it was not just a health crisis, but it was also a crisis in terms of rule of law and human rights. Unfortunately, this was merely exacerbation of trends that we've already seen in Europe where there is less uh, respect and attention to the principles of rule of law and the international standards of human rights. In this way, it means that COVID COVID was uh, an attack on, uh, of course, health. It created a crisis in terms of rule of law and human rights. And then, of course, the social and economic crisis, which also came. So it meant that all human rights were affected from civil and political to economic, social, and cultural. It also, we found, meant that uh, groups that are in a vulnerable situation um, and women were Uh, disproportionately impacted and this comes in various ways. First of all, any information that was provided was not accessible to all groups. Second of all, with the limitations on freedom of movement, it meant that some groups had even less participation in society and finally it meant that uh, women um, who were primarily uh, carers uh, and also who were subject to uh, violence against women, were locked inside often with their abuser. I'd like to comment briefly on how NHRI's dealt with this situation. Um, first of all, uh, how do they monitor human rights when they are all stuck at home?
1: It's fascinating and, and, and uh, sadly, the, the more you explain, the, the, the story gets the darker and darker uh it's it's uh, and it's worrying at, at the same time uh however going slightly off on a tangent and i would like to come back to, to w- what you're explaining right now but um all of what you describe is uh, directly the result of the uh, health crisis it, it's basically an old uh, leninist adage that no good crisis should go to waste if you want to redesign the society and i think we are in the uh, middle of an attempted redesign or um, uh, re-establishing of society of um, societal norms that we thought were long gone Uh, but there is another thing there isn't it the health crisis is being used as an excuse to do other things as well not just limit human rights in terms of health crises, such as uh, re- limiting fr- freedom of movement and, and um, uh, uh, fast-tracking decisions without your process and, and, and um, proper insight and, uh, and so on. But there are structural changes in relations between actors in society, and you mentioned the role of women and the position uh, of women, uh, that, uh, that it's being redefined because the situation allows it, not because the situation would mandate it. Give a case in point uh, Hungary has recently adopted a change in the constitution redefining family as solely a union of a man and a woman, and everything that' uh, it's a blatant a clear attack on LGBTQ rights and everything that goes with it Poland recently in October a couple of months ago. Uh, has has uh, li- severely limited the the um, uh, availability of abortion to women b- for all intents and purposes, banning it. Uh, this has nothing to do with the COVID nineteen epidemic. It has everything to do with with uh, retraditionalization of of uh, parts of Europe. And I'm wondering, and um, how do you deal with that? Th- these are not specific instances of human rights violations. This is a systemic undermining of societal norms as we know it.
2: Well, this is where NHRIs are very important, because they don't only deal with individual violations, but they really look at the structural and systemic human rights concerns across each country. Um, through their monitoring they can see across the country what is happening and through their advice to government they have an opportunity to really give uh, advice at the source and if the government or parliament does not listen to the human rights advice they also have a mandate to report to the international bodies in order that pressure can be put on that state to respect their international obligations. I believe that, yes, opportunities have been taken during this crisis situation in order to pass other measures under a state of emergency and some of which which have not received very much public attention because everyone is so concerned with COVID. Uh, I don't believe this is a massive change in approach. I believe it is more an opportunity taken, given the state of emergency, to accelerate some of the trends that were already in place. We had already seen in Poland and in Hungary that um, repeated measures were taken to restrict on democratic freedoms and rule of law. And this has continued and perhaps accelerated, uh, given the crisis that we are facing that we are observing. Uh, I'd like to also uh, consider the fact that when this situation uh, arises, as you say, it's uh, taking advantage of a crisis. But what is maybe common across this um, short history is a general feeling of insecurity or fear or by the population. So. In situations where individuals have fear, it could be a fear of losing a job or not having sufficient food for their families, not being able to find education for their children. Uh, When there's individuals have fear, they are often, um, it's it's easier for the authorities to take this directive approach but even when there is a crisis and even when there is insecurity among the population it is always possible to take a more democratic and participative approach Uh, even if there is a crisis it is in fact even more important to hear views from various parts of the community so that any measures that are taken do not have Uh, negative impacts on human rights and do not have disproportionate impacts on specific groups. Uh, It is open to states to take advice from NHRIs and other mandated bodies and it is possible for them to have public discourse at the very least to have debate in Parliament in order to ensure that there is sufficient democratic scrutiny but that has, has not been done. Taking An opportunity from a crisis is not only, we can't only look at it in the negative way. We must also look at it in the positive way and see how uh, we can build back better from this in ensuring that any economic and social recovery takes into account all groups, leaves no one behind and makes sure that there is full participation in society. Now, in order to do this, it is essential that rule of law and the democratic processes are strong. And so it is so important that right now, NHRIs and other actors are working hard to scrutinize new measures, to advise the government, to include civil society and the variety of groups represented in our societies, and also engage with international bodies to make sure that there is a constant pressure And this is of course more difficult during a crisis. It's more difficult when um, there is less access, but that pressure can still continue. And I have to say that NHRIs have been working so hard and have achieved some results in order to ensure that uh, the independent institutions and parliament can keep a check on uh, the power of the government. Um, A guest in our uh,
0: previous episode was uh, Hans van Balen, president of ALDE, and he spoke also about political correctness. So my next question would be, you spoke about uh, helping, advising uh, uh, your partners around Europe, uh, and I'm wondering... uh, Were there or are there any uh, differences among uh, countries across Europe uh, that are part of ENRI in terms of what they need or how much of your advice, your uh, efforts, your resources they need?
2: Well, inevitably there are differences across uh, Europe and in each country. But what really strikes me the most uh, through the network, which has 46 members, is the similarities. The same issues come up and the rule of law issues come up in each state, for example. Mm. The economic and social rights concerns come up in each state. The challenges of migrants come up in each state. And so actually through um, relating to each other, Each NHRI will have certain strengths and it will have certain needs and they can learn from each other. And sometimes those facing uh, the most difficult contexts will have the strongest experience. And so other states maybe where the context is emerging can learn from the other NHRI and they become stronger through that. Sadly, we see how one state might copy another in terms of actions that can be restrictive of rule of law, democratic space and human rights. And so those NHRIs that have had experience can uh, support the other. I find that each NHRI might have different needs, but each NHRI Mm. will need some support at some point, because even if the attacks or the human rights concerns might seem uh, less serious in one state or another, it is important to address all challenges as they emerge, to stop them from becoming more serious. And so I would say that each, while they might be different across uh, Europe, um, the similarities outweigh the differences. Each uh, NHRI needs uh, support in one way or another, and it's by connecting them to each other that each of them can become stronger.
0: Uh, How much work did you, your office, your organization have uh, uh, when, uh, in case of Poland and the women's strike? Uh, Now, part of the human rights projects uh, that we are doing, the podcast also, um, has been a roundtable on human rights and women. So I'm wondering your experience with with Poland and the the women's strike there. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, as a network, uh, Enri wasn't working directly on that because we have a very strong NHRI uh, in Poland. And uh, the whole principle of NHRIs is that they are national institutions. It means that local actors are acting with full knowledge of the context and it is most appropriate that the NHRI is acting in-country. However, where Enri has come in strongly is where the NHRI in Poland has come under attack. And this has come in various ways, with uh, legal, vexatious legal action, with attempts to change legislation, with smear campaigns. And ENRI has several times uh, come in uh, with uh, advice, but also with strong statements from across the network, bringing in international partners to support the institution and to make sure that it remains sufficiently strong to act itself in country on the uh, national issues emerging, such as the women's strike. And um, the Polish NHRI has been incredibly strong, and it was actually recognized by the European Commission in its report on rule of law as one of the only truly independent and strong institutions uh, in country.
1: One of the groups that was affected the most and had the least um, coverage, be it in institutions and in the media, the role of which we could talk about for ages, uh, were the uh, senior citizens. Do you feel that they have gotten the short end of the stick uh, with regard to uh, their human rights and their access to um, institutions of uh, the the modern state within uh, this pandemic?
2: Mm -hmm. Well... First of all, we know that uh, older persons are impacted more by the pandemic just in terms of uh, the fatality rates. Uh, And so it's important that there is particular attention to their needs and their situation of vulnerability in that regard. Uh, Second of all, uh, we have found that uh, older persons as a group. they have been quite invisible in society and that has been true in the past also in the human rights world in that there was not sufficient attention paid in the past to uh, older persons and their rights um, there is currently a un open-ended working group uh, working towards a convention on the rights of older persons which henry has engaged in and henry also uh, carried out some um, groundbreaking research in 2016 to 18, which was looking at the human rights of older persons and long-term care. And one some of the conclusions of that piece of work, which I believe is relevant across the board, was that older persons don't have sufficient opportunity to participate in processes and decisions that impact (coughs) on them. And this is um, true in many ways. Uh, Of course, we see it in care, uh, we'll see it in the COVID uh, context. And um, this is partly because they are often disregarded or not listened to, but it's also due to the um, uh, The belief that older persons perhaps cannot engage or cannot participate. But even those with dementia do and can uh participate, they can input in decisions that affect their lives. And it's incredibly important that the voices of older persons are included. So Enry put together a checklist which is looking specifically at the COVID context and how to engage older persons and ensure their voices are heard and their participation is assured throughout this COVID context. Do you feel that uh,
1: this aspect should be uh, given particular attention to the um, or within the strategy of the European Commission uh, to strengthen the application of the Charter of Fundamental Rights in the EU? I mean, um, there are so many issues, but I'm guessing at some point we have to pick one and just go for it.
2: Yes, well, there are several groups that are disproportionately impacted. Uh, there are older persons, also persons with disabilities, have had difficulty in accessing information, participating in society. We see impacts, um, as you say, on older persons, but also on children and uh, on the homeless, on uh, national minorities, on that there are many groups that are impacted and it is important that uh, any strategy takes into account these different needs. And of course, considers gender, uh, the rights of women, but also um, sexual orientation and uh, gender identity. So looking at the EU charter, it is important, of course, to have some uh, priorities and the EU does have strategies on uh, various groups. And so it is uh, important that there is uh, some synergy between the different synergies and that there is effective monitoring uh, across each state in the EU to ensure that no one is left behind and that uh, all have an opportunity to access, uh, understand and enforce their rights. Uh, so
0: 2020 has been an in- eventful year. Lots of it happens. Um, and you just spoke about the priorities in the strategy. So what would uh, the Secretary General of ENRI, Debbie Conner, wish uh, for 2021?
2: I think, first of all, I would wish for greater connectedness. And this comes on different levels. Greater connectedness between states, greater connectedness between communities, between groups. And then, of course, following a year of isolation uh, between individuals. Uh, We have seen, even before the COVID crisis, a rise of nationalism and very much a closing in of communities and groups, a division Uh, in terms of political views and also different uh, ethnic or uh, other communities. This division, I believe, can be addressed by greater dialogue, greater connectedness and greater understanding of each group. The multilateral uh, mechanisms are incredibly important to ensure that the connectedness between states continues and that there is some um, international review of how states are acting. We found in ENRI that through the connectedness between NHRIs, a solidarity can be grown, and this includes between NHRIs uh, from states on different sides of a conflict. It shows what is possible by coming together and improving uh, the connections between, as I said, groups, communities and states. I think a second wish for 2021 is that uh, the recovery, well of course that there is a recovery from Covid, but that we do together build back better, that we take a human rights based approach to recovery, taking into account um, transparency, participation, accountability, respect of human rights standards and uh, non-discrimination. Through doing this we can ensure that um, no one is left behind and that our society becomes stronger and more united i guess a final wish of course is that there is a strong and independent nhri in each and every european state i wanted also if i may to turn back to your question on the eu charter strategy Um, you asked me about different groups that might be represented Um, I wanted also to underline that the EU Charter Strategy has uh, an important shift from uh, focusing on the EU institutions to focusing on national implementation and this is incredibly important because individuals experience and enforce human rights at national level and it is very important that the Charter can live at the national level in terms of the public's awareness, in terms of implementation and enforcement but the Charter cannot do so um, through only Actors in Brussels. And this is why NHRIs are being brought in to make sure that the Charter and its implementation can be a lived reality in each EU state. And NHRIs will do this also through looking at the complementarity and synergies between the Charter and other human rights instruments, such as the European Convention on Human Rights, uh, such as the UN Treaties on Human Rights and, of course, the Human Dimensions from OSC.
1: Debbie Kenner, thank you. Uh, we're running out of time. Uh, thank you so much uh, for uh, your time and uh, best wishes for 2021. May it be a good one for all of us.
2: Thank you for being our guest. Thank you very much, Aliesh. Thank you, Natasha. It's been a great pleasure to be with you. Good luck and wishing you a very happy and healthy 2021.